Thaddeus went mad in September after a visit to the well. He had gone with a pail and had come back empty-handed, shrieking and waving his arms, and sometimes lapsing into an inane titter or a whisper about the moving colors down there. Two in one family was pretty bad, but Nahum was very brave about it. He let the boy run about for a week until he began stumbling and hurting himself, and then he shut him in an attic room across the hall from his mother's. The way they screamed at each other from behind their locked doors was very terrible, especially to little Merwin, who fancied they talked in some terrible language that was not of earth. Merwin was getting frightfully imaginative, and his restlessness was worse after the shutting away of the brother who had been his greatest playmate. That is a a quotation from the H.P. Lovecraft story, The Color Out of Space. And uh, we are here at the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast in our second episode covering this story. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And you can find us at hppodcraft.com. But Mm -hmm. today, it's not just Chad and I. We have brought with us yet again the wonderful, the luminous... Paul McLean. Luminous, I'm glowing, that's a bad sign. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. Well, I would tr- no, to be on the show. It's all right. It's this color that I can't quite describe. Oh, dear. Don't shake my hand, it'll fall off. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's happened in the story thus far, guys? Uh, we are following a guy who is a, a surveyor who comes to this area that has been, it's like a farm. It used to be a farm, but it's now it's this desolate area. Everybody around says, oh, yeah, that's, that's the farm nobody talks about. That's, you know, bad news. They call it the Blasted Heath. Yeah, all that's there is just a chimney and an old well. That's yeah. really all that's left. Yeah, and then just ash. There noth- yeah. Nothing grows there. And so there's this old guy that was alive at the time. He knows about it. And so um, the most of the story is this old man, Ami, telling mm. us what happened back in the 1880s. A meteor crashed. Uh, some scientists came, poked at it. There was some color in it, some strange color they couldn't describe. And it sort of just has been poisoning the farm and making all the vegetation glow the strange, unknowable color, this color that is beyond our our normally beyond our perception, but now can be seen. Right. This is Nam Gardner's farm and the uh, the, the vegetation uh, grew to crazy levels and then it became ash and gray. I mean, everything around this farm is getting poisoned. And uh, his, his wife and his son Thaddeus have lost their minds and now have been stuck up in the attic. And I think away. some uh, the, the, somebody's pants have gone crazy too, right? Oh yes, well I must admit <laughs> my favourite quote from the entire story for all the wrong reasons is the particular line in it and it says the Dutchman's breeches became a thing of sinister menace. <laughs> I thought, where are you going with that? Oh. <laughs> I know Lovecraft was hard up for cash, but really um, <laughs> yeah, What are Dutchman's breeches? I think it's pretty obvious what Dutchman's breeches are. Not well, to me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's actually a plant. So oh, he, was, he was talking okay. about the plants growing and changing. And uh, Dutchman's breech beers are a perennial herbaceous plant native to North America, actually. Used by early practitioners, Native Americans. Supposedly uh, a plant useful for syphilis. Oh, hey. If you should, you know, there you go. Mm. Great. That's where we are now. The wife is locked up in the attic. Thaddeus, the son, is locked up in the attic. There's two sons that are out there with Nahum. And uh, they're just trying to deal with the fact that things are falling apart fast on that farm a summer after that meteor crashed on the property. Livestock begin dying off. The poultry are gray and they turn gray and then they die. 
the hogs get really abnormally fat and then they start changing in some kind of revolting ways that he doesn't describe uh, before they get gray and brittle and, and die. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, a vet comes in from out of town and tries to diagnose what's going on with these animals and he's completely boggled. The cows are shriveling and, and disintegrating and I think they're even like collapsing in place. Yeah. The dogs all disappear one night. Yeah, they just all, run all away. Three of them. And uh, uh, all five cats that were on the property are gone as well, although I assume they just took a trip up to the moon. of course now on the 19th of October Nahum shows up at Ami's house with some very bad news his son Thaddeus died in some hideous way that he doesn't tell him yeah Uh, he doesn't describe what happened but he just that it's upsetting and Ami and his wife just you know try to console him as best they can well Ami goes back to the farm with Nahum and he finds that Zenus one of the sons is catatonic almost I think this pronounced Zenus oh is it Zenus (laughs) I don't know (laughs) oh you say (laughs) Zenith I say Zenith yeah. It sounds like... Uh, I say uh, Nam, kind of you say Nam. Antidepressant or uh, performance enhancement or <laughs> drug that you... Oh, poor Don't Zenus. Don't take Zenus with coffee. You know, actually, Zenus or Zenus is the name of the lawyer cited in Titus 3.13. Oh, okay. There you go. One thing that is disturbing is when Ami gets there, Merwin is crying his eyes out, obviously, because his brother has died. Mm-hmm. And his sobs are... The mother's, like, responding to his sobs with her crazy gibberish up in the attic. So it's oh. Some, oh, it's so weird and... Finally, Ami manages to leave. When night approached, Ami managed to get away. Though not even friendship could make him stay in that spot when the faint glow of the vegetation began and the trees may or may not have swayed without wind. It was really lucky for Ami that he was not more imaginative. Even as things were, his mind was bent ever so slightly. But had he been able to connect and reflect upon all the portents around him, he must inevitably have turned a total maniac. In the twilight, he hastened home, the screams of the mad woman and the nervous child ringing horribly in his ears. You know, it's it's crazy that Nam is able to keep it together. They make mention that, that Ami should, you know, it's amazing that he hasn't gone crazy, but Nam freaking lives there, and he's dealing with that on a daily basis, and his whole life, and his children, and, you know, that guy's made us some stern stuff. Again, we come back to what we mentioned in the first part of the show, which is there's no reason for this. There's no moral reason why they should be afflicted in such a way. He was he was always a good practicer of his, of his faith, but he's still there. He's yeah. still carrying on. That paragraph we just heard is a typical Lovecraftian sentiment that says, you know, if Ami was just a little smarter, or if he was able to correlate <laughs> the, the contents a little bit more, he would turn into a total maniac. <laughs> Luckily, he, just, he can't quite put it all together. He yeah, remains. he's simple folk. Yeah. But as Paul had mentioned about the biblical kind of theme, I think in the next paragraph it suggests that story of uh, Lot that we talked about, or the story of Job. It says, uh, Three days later, Nahum lurched into Ami's kitchen in the early morning, and in the absence of his host, stammered out a desperate tale once more, while Mrs. Pierce listened in a clutching fright. It was little Merwin this time. He was gone. He had gone out late at night with a lantern and pail for water, and had never come back. He'd been going to pieces for days and hardly knew what he was about. Screamed at everything. There had been a a frantic shriek from the yard then, but before the father could get to the door, the boy was gone. There was no glow from the lantern he had taken, and of the child himself, no trace. At the time, Nahum thought the lantern and pail were gone too. But when dawn came, and the man had plodded back from his all-night search of the woods and fields, he had found some very curious things near the well. There was a crushed and apparently somewhat melted mass of iron, which had certainly been the lantern, while a bent bale and twisted iron hoops beside it, both half-fused, seemed to hint at the remnants of the pale. That was all. Nahum was past imagining. Mrs. Pierce was blank, and Amy, when he had reached home and heard the tale, could give no guess. Merwin was gone, 
and there would be no use in telling the people around who shunned all gardeners now. No use either in telling the city people at Arkham who laughed at everything. Thad was gone, and now Merwin was gone. Something was creeping and creeping and waiting to be seen and felt and heard. Nahum would go soon, and he wanted Amy to look after his wife and Zenas if they survived him. It must all be a judgment of some sort, though he could not fancy what for, since he had always walked uprightly in the Lord's ways so far as he knew. It's so sad. It really touches me. Mm. Typically, Lovecraft you know, doesn't make me feel anything but uh, amusement and sometimes fear. But uh, but that's <laughs> just really, really sad. You know, they didn't do anything to have this happen to them. It's so good. It's such a There's good story. There's a couple story. of mature writing expressions, I think, in that paragraph as well, where he uses very short declarative sentences to great effect. And it's not something that Lovecraft normally does. I love the sentence, screamed at everything. Just one sentence. Or uh, later he says, that was all. After a couple of weeks, Ami hasn't seen Nahum, so he goes out to the farm to see what's up. And oh. it's even worse. It's all Oh my God. Screwed up <laughs> out there, yeah. It's and he so finds, terrible. Uh, he finds Nahum on the couch, very weak. Nahum shouts to Zenas for more wood, and there's nothing in the fireplace. It's just yeah, cold out there. Yeah. When Zenas doesn't show up to add wood, Nahum still asks if the extra wood has made Ami more comfortable. So he right. knows that... Nam has lost it. He's completely disconnected with reality. Yep. When Ami asks him, hey, where exactly is Zenas? Uh, uh, Nam says, in the well. He lives in the well. Dad, we were kind of thinking about moving into the well. Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. When uh, Ami asks where the wife is, Nam says, Nabby, here she is. You yeah. know, <laughs> she's not there. So no, nobody's there. Ami's, Ami's got to find her. Ami knows that she's been up in the attic. So he goes up to the attic and there's a key hanging on the hook and he opens up the door and looks inside. He says it's noisome, which means smelly, which, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. I didn't realize noisome meant smelly. I had a something noisome. What's making the noise? Oh, noisome means smelly, stinky, putrid. Yeah. It was quite dark inside for the window was small and half obscured by the crude wooden bars, and Amy could see nothing at all on the wide planked floor. The stench was beyond enduring, and before proceeding further, he had to retreat to another room and return with his lungs filled with breathable air. When he did enter, he saw something dark in the corner, and upon seeing it more clearly, he screamed outright. While he screamed, he thought a momentary cloud eclipsed the window, and a second later he felt himself brushed as if by some hateful current of vapor. Strange colors danced before his eyes, and had not a present horror numbed him, he would have thought of the globule and the meteor that the geologist's hammer had shattered, and of the morbid vegetation that had sprouted in the spring. As it was, he thought only of the blasphemous monstrosity which confronted him and which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about this horror was that it very slowly and perceptibly moved as it continued to crumble. She's falling like a... She's disintegrating. She's turning to dust, but she's still moving. She's still... It's still alive, you know? Oh, it's so horrible. Yeah. And now, it's a little unclear here, but I believe what says Ami would... uh, uh, the shape in the corner moving it doesn't or the shape in the corner does not reappear in his tail as a moving object so did he do something up did he take care of business up there? oh yeah i he, think he did yeah. oh absolutely yeah he he um he takes a, a stick or a club and he just kills her he beats her to death well what's left oh. of her oh my God. 
Yeah, because he's just like, I can't let it go on. And there's actually, <sighs> Arthur Mackin's The Novel of the White Powder, there's a very similar thing that happens. It's, um, there's a quote where it's... Here it is. Here okay. It says, There upon the floor was a dark and putrid mass, seething with corruption and hideous rottenness, neither liquid nor solid, but melting and changing before our eyes, and bubbling with unctuous oily bubbles like boiling pitch. And out of the midst of it shone two burning points like eyes, and I saw a writhing and stirring as of limbs, and something moved and lifted up what might have been an arm. The doctor took a step forward, raised the iron bar, and struck at the burning points. He drove in the weapon and struck again and again in the fury of loathing. In that story, this guy gets a hold of this powder that he accidentally in ingests this powder and it turns him into this kind of blobule thing. It was an accident, but the doctor still kind of sees it and is horrified by it and freaks out and beats him to death, which is very similar to this. Yeah. Well, so Ami, when he leaves that room after taking care of the moving shape, he, he wants to go downstairs, but he hears this thud and maybe even a stifled scream, and he thinks of that vapor that flew by him when he opened the attic door. He hears more sounds. It says, Indubitably, there was a sort of heavy dragging and a most detestably sticky noise as of some fiendish and unclean species of suction. <sighs> he stands there in this darkened stairwell, totally petrified. That's when he notices that the whole house has a certain glow, glow to it. Glow to it. It's glowing. Outside, his horse starts going crazy, and, and somehow it breaks away, taking off. There's a splash he hears from the well, and he assumes the horse must have knocked a stone from the well into right. it when, he, when it ran off. He f hears this feeble scratching on the floor downstairs, and... He finally steals himself to go down there and oh. see what's up. Yeah, and it's it's Nam who's just disintegrating. He's just kind of pulling himself across the the oh, the floor. It says he had dry fragments were scaling off of him. It says it just happened very suddenly. I mean, Nam has been uh, Nam's been sick for quite some time, and and slowly, you know, this has been affecting him. But right. since he opened that attic room, it just suddenly. Yeah, what, so really as if something was up in the attic, kind of got out of the attic, and yeah. came down and, and, and got Nam. He whispers to uh, Nam, you know, what was it? And uh, Nam says, nothing. Nothing. The color, it burns. Cold and wet, but it burns. It lived in the well. I seen it. A kind of smoke. Just like the flowers last spring, the well shone at night. Thad and Myrny and Zenus, everything alive. Sucking the life out of everything. In that stone. It must have come in that stone. Pies in the whole place. Don't know what it means. Don't know what it wants. That round thing them men from the college dug out in the stone. They smashed it. It was that same color. Just the same, like the flowers and plants. Must have been more of them. Seeds. Seeds. They growed. I seen it the first time this week. Must have got strong on Zenus. He was a big boy, full of life. It beats down your mind and then gets you. Burns you up. In the well water, you was right about that. Evil water. Zenus never come back from the well. Can't get away. Draws you. You know, summit's common, but taint no use. I seen it time and again since Zenus was took. Where's Nabby, Ami? My head's no good. Don't know how long since I fed her. It'll get her if we ain't careful. Just a color. The face is getting ahead of that color sometimes towards night. And it burns and sucks. It come from some place where things ain't as they is here. One of them professors said so. He was right. Look out, Ami. It'll do something more. Sucks the life out. But that was all. That which spoke could speak no more. 
because it had completely caved in. And so Ami lays a checkered tablecloth over what's left and uh, leaves, stumbling home in, in disbelief. Now, as he leaves, he sees that no stone has been knocked off of the well. Yeah. So whatever that splash was, was something, something else. Something else going into the well. The family's gone, then. That's the end of the That's family. it. Yeah. yeah, that's everybody. Yeah, that's everybody. Straight away, he goes into town to report what's happened. Hey, the family's dead. But he disappeared. He, yeah, he says, well, there's some kind of illness and it affected the livestock. And, the, you know, he leaves out a lot of the details. Right, right. <laughs> and, because, but, he knows you know, that, they have to get back there because the kids are missing. And he was hoping that they would just kind of let it go. But the cops are like, no, we got to go. You're going with us. And he's right. like, I, I don't need to go. And they're like, you're a witness. Why? Are you hiding something? You know, what's, and he's no, no. Uh, OK, I guess I'll go with you. I'm going with uh, you now back to the place that I really don't want to go. Ever again. It's it's afternoon when they go too. It's three police officers, the coroner, a medical examiner, and the vet who'd been treating the animals. The the gang says we got to search that well now in case yeah. they're down there. Which Ami's like, I wish I'd never said anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so they they dredge up the bodies. The, the the boys are down there. Their bodies are down there, and they're fetid and disgusting. And there's also some bodies of animals, I believe. A Is small it? deer and a large dog, mm. all all skeletal and falling apart. Right. Yeah. But that takes a while and it's starting to get dark so they get lanterns and they they go inside the house and all start conferring about what could have happened and then the coroner notices that there's a glow around the well all three horses outside tied to a pair of shriveled saplings by the road were now neighing and pawing frantically the wagon driver started for the door to do something but Amy laid a shaky hand on his shoulder don't go out there he whispered there's more to this than what we know Nahum said something lived in the well that sucks your life out. He said it must be summit growed from a round ball like one we all seen in the meteor stone that fell a year ago June. Sucks and burns, he said, and it's just a cloud of color like that light out there now that you can hardly see and can't tell what it is. Nahum thought it feeds on everything living and gets stronger all the time. He said he's seen it this last week. It must be something from away off in the sky, like the men from the college last year says the meteor stone was. The way it's made and the way it works ain't like no way of God's world. It's summit from beyond. So the guys just hang tight in there, waiting to see what happens. And then Mm -hmm. a a big, crazy Ghostbusters-like light shoots out of the thing. Straight up in the air. Straight up in the air, out in the sky. This light is pouring out, seeming to flow up into the sky. And they notice as well that the the trees are moving even though there's no wind. They were twitching morbidly and spasmodically, clawing in convulsive and epileptic madness at the moonlit clouds, scratching impotently in the noxious air as if jerked by some alien and bodiless line of linkage with subterranean horrors writhing and struggling below the black roots. Such a great passage. Absolutely great passage. Absolutely. The other things in the yard are glowing as well as that color pours out of the well. And, and again, the horses, well, the, at least the horses for the wagon they took out there, break free and they run off with the wagon. Uh, well, although not, Ami's horse. Ami's horse there. is stuck there, yeah. And starts shrieking, right? He starts Oh, uh, uh, the horse freaks out. out. Yeah, he says that, like, it makes noises that he's you know never heard a horse make before. Out in, in the trees, there's little lights like little they seem like almost like they're fireflies but they're not they're that's right on the tips of the trees on the tips of the trees like almost like a St. Elmo's fire kind of thing and so they're coming in from where the trees are this stuff is shooting out of the well all the farm was shining with a hideous unknown blend of color trees buildings and even such grass and herbage as had not been wholly changed to lethal gray brittleness the boughs were all straining skyward tipped with tongues of foul flame and lambent tricklings of the same monstrous fire were creeping about the ridgepoles of the house, barn, and sheds. 
It was a scene from a vision of Fuseli, and over all the rest reigned that riot of luminous amorphousness, that alien and undimensioned rainbow of cryptic poison from the well, seething, feeling, lapping, reaching, scintillating, straining, and malignly bubbling in its cosmic and unrecognizable chromaticism. Then, without warning, the hideous thing shot vertically up toward the sky like a rocket or meteor, leaving behind no trail and disappearing through a round and curiously regular hole in the clouds before any man could gasp or cry out. But they're stuck inside. They don't go out. They're, 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 they're staying, staying inside because, well, I just <laughs> don't know what to do. What the hell are you going to, you're going to go out in that? I'm not. I know. Well, everything gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and eventually they say, you know what? Let's go out the back door, which Ami shows to them, and, and they take a path up through the fields away from the house, not even looking behind them. They just scram, you know? Well, they don't look behind them, but Ami does. Uh, this is why uh, um, Price compares it to, because when Lot's wife looks yeah. back, she's, you know, she gets turned into a pillar of, salt, uh, of oh, Sodom right. and Gomorrah. You know, if you look back, you're going to get punished even more. And Ami does, because he's punished with this understanding. Too awed even to hint theories. The seven shaking men trudged back toward Arkham by the north road. Ami was worse than his fellows, and begged them to see him inside his own kitchen, instead of keeping straight on to town. He did not wish to cross the nighted, wind-whipped woods alone to his home on the main road, for he had had an added shock that the others were spared, and was crushed forever with the brooding fear he dared not even mention for many years to come. As the rest of the watchers on that tempestuous hill had stolidly set their faces toward the road, Ami had looked back an instant at the shadowed valley of desolation so lately sheltering his ill-starred friend. And from that stricken, faraway spot, he had seen something feebly rise, only to sink down again upon the place from which the great, shapeless horror had shot into the sky. It was just a color, but not any color of our earth or heaven's. And because Ami recognized that color and knew that this last faint remnant must still lurk down there in the well, he has never been quite right since. So it, it didn't go, as everybody thought it just shot off in space and was done with. Because right, I always thought that right. there, there were several of them. And so some of them went and some of them didn't. I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, or something stayed behind. You yeah, know, so yeah, not not everything thing. went. Not yeah, no. Went. So this is sort of the end of Ami's story. And when we get back to the surveyor, you know, he says Ami never visited that place again, even though he still lives near it. Now, after that it all happened, a few men returned the next day to see that the farm had been completely laid to ruins after that event. Only the chimney and the well remain, and it, it becomes at that point the blasted heat, just yeah. five acres of nothing. Pretty much as it is 40 years later, nothing has changed. People are still talking about it. They say that the blight from there is spreading inch by inch. Yeah, I remember in the beginning I was talking about how it was kind of creeped over to the other side of the road. Yeah, and, and you know, the people who lived in the area after that incident started going crazy and that's why they moved out. Ami, unfortunately, because of what he saw, believes that there were more globules in the meteor and that even now one is anchored down in the well. What it is, only God knows. In terms of matter, I suppose the thing Ami described would be called a gas, but this gas obeyed laws that are not of our cosmos. This was no fruit of such worlds and suns as shine on the telescopes and photographic plates of our observatories. This was no breath from the skies whose motions and dimensions our astronomers measure or deem too vast to measure. It was just a color out of space, a frightful messenger from unformed realms of infinity beyond all nature as we know it, from realms 
whose mere existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the black extracosmic gulfs it throws open before our frenzied eyes. I mean, that's a, a theme that Lovecraft has visited before elsewhere, because I, I remember one of his letters. Uh, he actually says, how do we know that the form of atomic and molecular motion called life is the highest of all forms? Perhaps the dominant creature, the most rational and godlike of all beings, is an invisible gas. He's had, had that thought for a while. So. Yeah, in Celepheus, Karanis talks about gas creatures. He says, a part of space where form does not exist, but where glowing gases study the secrets of existence. And a violet-colored gas told him that this part of space was outside what he had called infinity. And then he brings up again in Kirani, same character, in the Dream Quest, the violet gas Singak had told him terrible things of the crawling chaos Nyarlathotep. So, you know, this is something that Lovecraft obviously is using kind of again. He just loves this idea. form because you have no you know, physical needs in that sense. You know, it's like you know, the ultimate level of existence. You're just a floating gas. Fun going to discos, but besides that... <laughs> but, it's a, yeah, but it's a pretty stellar paragraph, and it, it almost should yeah. be the last one. But He concludes the tale by... Well, it's actually kind of a, a nice um, emotional ending to the tale. It is. The, the narrator concludes worrying about Ami and... and and he actually, it's, there's an implication there too. He wonders why Ami hasn't really moved away. And he recalls what Nam had said, that this thing draws you in. He decides that when the engineers flood the valley, he wants to have them check in on Ami because the last thing he would want would be for him to have that fate befall him. Of course, he doesn't um, He doesn't go check on Nam, uh, no. <laughs> Ami himself. No, he's going to go get the workers because he's not going anywhere oh, near the place. he's quit. Yeah, and he's that gone. is uh, the end of that the story. That is the end of the story. There were uh, two film adaptations of this story. Have you seen either of them? I've seen uh, The Curse, which is the 1987 film adaptation. Mm. So I remember seeing that oh. actually back when it came out. So, but the first, oh, yeah? it's got uh, Will Wheaton in it, right? I think it does. Will Wheaton's in a Lovecraft movie. I didn't realize <laughs> that. Lovecraft yeah. inspired. A Lovecraft yeah, inspired. Yeah, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Yes. Was that any good? The Curse. I don't. It was. It was all right. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad a watch. I mean, I have a very generous interpretation of what Lovecraftian films should be. Sure. I enjoy them within the way you have to. But of course. Uh, well, I think it spawned quite a few sequels, so it must have done. The Curse Two, well. Electric Boogaloo. Oh <laughs> no, that's exactly. not right. But the first one, I've not actually seen. The first one I know was. Um, is it Die Monster Die? I think it was in the U.S. Oh, that was a yeah. Boris Karloff movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, that's based it's a Roger Corman. Uh, mm-hmm. Holy yeah. cow! I had no idea. The British title was yeah. Monster of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're kidding me. Monster What's of Terror. Monster of Terror in the, in the, in the UK. So there you go. I think yeah, I haven't seen that. Well. You know, that was Corman's AIP Pictures. They did this, and oh. uh, yeah, wasn't that? Uh, what was the movie that he also adapted? Oh, Case Charles X Award. That's yeah. right. With, oh, the, with bits uh, of price. Edgar yeah. Allan Poe's Haunted Palace. Yes, right. <laughs> but it was Charles Dexter Ward. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, yeah. but it was Lovecraft Charles Dexter Ward. But, yeah. There's a Color Out of Space Music and Arts Festival in Brighton out there. You ever heard of that? No. I've not heard of that. That's news to me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know what goes on there, but... Uh, <laughs> we'll have to check that. Great name for a festival. It's, yeah. Do, do people uh, disintegrate before your eyes there? Uh, Brighton <laughs> is a party town. It's a nightclub town. Oh, I've heard that, yes. Yeah. ColorOutOfSpace.org, Brighton's fourth annual Color Out of Space. Three days of what? Oh my. It's an arts council thing, so it must be some kind of arts festival. If anybody knows about it or what goes on there or has actually visited, let us know. Uh, well, I have a, a few f- uh, facts I want to get out about this thing, uh, the Color get Out of out. Space. Uh, it was written in March 1927, first published in Amazing Stories in September 1927. Lovecraft referred to it as an atmospheric study rather than a tale. He sold it for $25. Let's see, the tale was given a three star rating in the 1928 edition of Edward J. O'Brien's prestigious series. 
series, the best short stories. Uh, so Lovecraft nice. actually got you know some props for writing yeah. the story while he was alive. So that, that makes me happy because I always feel like Lovecraft really just got kicked a lot and yeah. never really acknowledged for all the cool stuff that he did. And I believe it's one of the most say one of the most anthologized stories of his as well. It's one of the ones that crops up in mm-hmm. many anthologies. Yeah. Well, I certainly can't think of another story like it to, to really explore the idea that um, it's something I remember even thinking having occurred to me when I was a child that if aliens came they wouldn't necessarily be you know it wouldn't be V or uh, or uh, yes it would they the earth stood still maybe it would but uh, you know that it would be something we couldn't even possibly understand yeah you know yeah oh yeah is. that's a lot, there's a lot of good science fiction where they have yeah. you know creatures that are just so intelligent that we can't even understand what what's going on and all their actions seem like magic to us you know where they're they can make things happen because of their technology and their just understanding of the universe, which Lovecraft does really well in the story. You know, it's just oh, it's so good. Yeah. To me, I wonder if it's even any kind of insidious plan from this thing or if that's just the effect of it being on the planet. Well, one of the things about this particular story is that nothing is explained. It's it's description of what goes on, but there's no explanation of no. reasons why or anything like that. It is absolutely this, this mysterious thing. It just happens and, to people who it doesn't deserve to happen to. And you were saying before, it's it's just kind of a statement of what happened it doesn't really pick sides it doesn't you know these things are horrible but these are the the judgments i'm making on Mm -hmm. what happens you know it's Mm -hmm. it's he keeps it very uh objective in a way yeah it's hard to say what you know what the plan was or what the thing was doing i mean i i thought about um and the world is much more integrated now but in past times if you had a not you know somebody that goes to a country or a part of the world that they're not from they bring with them a host of diseases that can then demolish a population that maybe didn't have resistance to those things oh, right. and likewise you know this thing lands on the earth its plan probably isn't to destroy this farm no you know it's just that whatever it is is destroying everything in its path but whether that's something it wants to do i mean it's not a typical alien invasion it just it just drew nourishment somehow and it had this effect on the surroundings but <sighs> could just be totally random ghastly See, i thought it was some kind of like let's say seeding but if, if it you know fell to earth to to grow and then as it uh-huh. matured as the color matured then it left so it would just come down as a kind of cradle yeah and then just Take the sustenance it needed from wherever and head off. Sure, so it could be, it could be doing that on planets throughout the universe. Oh, right. not just yeah, that, that makes sense. Too. Or or it could be doing something we just we can't ever understand. <laughs> We're only seeing a tip of the iceberg of what is actually going on with this thing, mm. whatever it is. Well done, Lovecraft. It is one of my favorite stories, along with Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for the story this week. Yeah, that's um, it for the obviously story. Obviously, we really liked it, and, and uh, was glad to be able to spread it out over two parts. Now, we want to make an announcement here of some promotions that we're going to be doing. Yahoo! Uh, lots of folks have asked us to do uh, more readings of the stories, because uh, we released Haunter of the Dark earlier in the year, and, and that seemed to entertain folks, and oh Andrew did a great it. job with that. Yeah, so we're going to do some more readings now, uh, and we're going to do another ransom model here. Uh, we want to raise $2,000 this time, and we're going to do two stories that are short. It's uh, From Beyond. And the White Ship. We're going ship. to have... Uh, not the White Ship. <laughs> oh, <laughs> curses. It's going to be uh, From Beyond, the full story reading by our reader uh, when we did that episode, Bruce Green. And then the uh, the second part of the double feature will be The Picture in the House, featuring yet again the talents of the extraordinary Andrew Lehman. Now, the particular thing about these stories is that they're going to be in 3D. 3D? What is that? What, Chad, I, how, can it, how can sound be in 3D? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, here's my idea. It's terrible that I don't even remember what the name of this album was, but the Flaming Lips released an album uh, in the 90s where 
where you got, I don't know, it was like three or four CDs. Four CDs, the same, I think. Uh, was it four? Yeah. yeah. Of the same album that were all mixed differently. And the idea was that you would get together with your friends and you would each play the CD all at once on different players. And every time you listen to it, you get sort of a different experience in the room. Yeah. So we're going to do something similar to that where when we release these readings, you can, we'll of course release an MP3 that has all of the effects and everything leveled into just one thing that you can listen right. to. Or we'll we're gonna... release it in, as a few separate MP3 files. And the idea is that you download them on different players, hopefully get together even with your friends, and you all hit play at the same time. And when you do that, you'll have a three-dimensional experience in the room because there'll be sound effects coming out of different devices yeah. and, and placed in different places. So it would be a good time to get together with other fans, turn off the lights, um, and just have sort of a, an experience listening to the stories. Yeah, Something we're trying to get people together, get the Lovecraft fans together in, in rooms, a dark room, in a dark room, <laughs> instead of... <laughs> You know, because we're all kind of spread out all over the country, of uh, the world, all over the world. Jeez, yeah. and uh, it's a good excuse to try and find some people, and maybe some people that aren't normally Lovecraft fans, get them over to go. Hey, I, we want to do this thing. We're going to listen to the story. Bring yeah. over your tape deck. <laughs> Bring over your walk. Uh, well, so that's the promotion. It's from Beyond and the picture in the house in 3D. Yep. We're trying to raise $2,000 for that. So donations are open now. You can do that at hppodcraft.com. Just click the donate button. I'd also remind you that we have some t-shirts for sale if you want some actual gear. That's at uh, uh, cafepress.com slash hppodcraft. And uh, speaking of all over the world, where are you guys recording from today? Uh, we are in the Heights of Yorkshire, Innsmouth House, so West Yorkshire in the UK. Specifically, are we in Bradford? Bradford area. Yeah, Bradford area. Between Leeds and Bradford. Cool, cool. Near the moors, near Heaths. Excellent. No, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> These aren't well, so blasted, though. No. Not no. yet. Yeah. Hopefully no. not. No. I worry about you guys. Well, um, <laughs> well Paul, uh, thanks so much for allowing for hosting Chris. Uh, Chris just moved, so he wasn't able to, yes. the, to record from home. Yeah, so. most welcome. It's been a pleasure to have you in here, and thanks for asking me on the show. Well, oh, thanks great. for being on the show. I mean, you, your 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 work uh, with uh, yogsothout.com is extraordinary. It's one of the the places, not just for the role playing game, which is kind of where you started, but for Lovecraft. Uh, fandom in general. I mean, you yeah, you stretch all. Oh, I mean, your forums are amazing over there, and Thanks, and got a lot of great. I'll stuff write you a on. check after the show. Thanks. Uh, I want to thank Andrew Lehman for doing a great job with this, knocking it out of the park once again. We're really glad to have him back on the show. Oh wait, I, I'm sorry, I did want to mention something. Uh, Paul oh, and I are are doing a little splinter show, I guess, of of his show uh, called Notes from the Codis. It's just kind of a news, uh, Lovecraftian news show. That's it. All the tentacular news that's fit to print, and then some. Yeah. You know, Paul and I now live in a pretty much a Stone stone's throw. throw away from each other, mm-hmm. and we thought it'd be fun to do a show together. So now you can hear Paul and I uh, talk about uh, some Lovecraftian news. I love it. forward slash podcast dot xml. There you go. Great. We'll put a link up to that too, and I will listen and get all my news and olds. Okay. Well, that's all I've got. Thanks again to Andrew. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Paul McLean. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com.